I'm home. Hi, have you got a cup of tea? I've got a cup of tea in my hand. <laughs> okay. While you're um, while you're reading that, you do know you've been recorded, of course. I suppose it'd be a bit pointless doing this interview. Right. All right, everybody. My name is Ken Fallon, and uh, I want to do an interview today because um, we're short of shows. In actual fact, they we have only two people with shows in the queue. It's fifty-one fifty and a hookah. So I really hope you're out there busy <laughs> recording your shows. But anyway, back in episode 980, we did an interview with somebody about broadband for the rural north. And I'll just read what it is. Located in the very pretty but rural forest of Boland in Lancashire in the UK. And tired of putting up with their slow broadband, they decided to put together their own network. They tried sharing Wi-Fi, 3G, 4G mobile networks, MMDS and satellite, and yet all proved unreliable. So over tea and cake, they came up with a plan, a 240 kilometer, 150 mile plan, a one gigabit per second fiber optic connection plan, and a plan that will connect every one of the 1700 homes, farms, schools, churches, businesses in the area. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to bring back to you, to Hacker Public Radio, Chris Condor. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you, Ken. I'm very, very glad to have you on the line because I've been absolutely plagued with problems all evening and it's very likely that this may go in the in the bin but tell me <laughs> this is the most requested interview i've had um on hacker public radio it's uh people have been bugging me for basically a year or yes a year is it well however long it has been since uh, our last episode to get a catch-up episode and i thought hey what a what a what a handy thing to do so how has things been over there Oh, brilliant. Yes, brilliant. And your idea of the sponsored, sponsored duck, it's smashing. We even got Peter Cochran. Have you heard of Peter Cochran? Yep. He's a big fibre evangelist, used to work for BT, and he goes all over the world uh, talking about broadband and advising different governments. Even he's sponsored a metre of our duck, and that's all thanks to your idea on the last Hacker radio show that we did. Okay, fantastic. Uh, yeah. So how has it been going? Have you been able, the last time we were talking to you, I think uh, the duct had been laid and you were just about getting ready to blow some fibre. So how did that How did that go for you? Uh, how did the blowing go? Oh, that was a, a steep learning curve. Um, yeah, we had two blockages and the fibre wouldn't blow through it. And so the blowing people had to go away. So we then had to wait for weeks till the blowing people came back. Um, because they were doing it as a favour for us, and we thought, this is ridiculous, we're going to have to get our own blower and learn how to blow properly ourselves, and so we bought a blower, and we've come up with the theory that whenever we're blowing, we have four good, strong men with spades, and <laughs> if the blowing stops, they, they, we also have a little wheel, and the blowing machine says how far the fibre's blown, 100 metres, 200 metres, 500 metres, and you walk with the wheel to where the, the fibre's stopped, you dig in and you find out what's the matter with your duct. One time it was where it was mole plowed in and a stone had moved sideways and crushed the duct. Oh. Yeah. And another time, uh, again, it was a stone and it was it was a, a piece that we'd... I was actually... I actually took a photograph of them laying that bit of duct and I know it was laid very carefully, but they'd obviously missed a stone and the ducting was laid on a stone and it was backfilled carefully by hand as we do uh, for about four, four to six inches and then the diggers backfill the rest of the trench for you yeah. and so that's how it was done and I saw that bit being done and um, like I said they missed a stone this ducting ran over the top of a stone and when the weight of the whole trench came down upon it it bent it over the stone and just that little bend was oh. enough to stop the fibre blowing so 
we don't get caught out like that anymore. Everything that goes wrong is a really good lesson for us. So we don't sort of moan and groan about it. We think, great, well, we know how to sort that one next time. I'm a- and since then, we've had the mice. Have you heard the story of the mice? <laughs> I've seen the videos. Go on, tell us. Yeah, well, uh, this farmer said, I've got 100 metres of duct running through that field, and it carries all my electric wires to light up this corner of the field where they have a menage thing for the horses and they exercise the horses in it. I'll, uh, instead of digging all that way and crossing more electric lines because he has a windmill and water pipes and all sorts of things, let's just shove it through the duct. So they said, oh, great, that's a good, good idea. idea. So, so they did, and our 16mm duct went through his 3-inch duct, and we thought, job done. And uh, that was part of the main core route that lit up the second village. And um, came the day we wanted to turn it on, right before Christmas, we wanted to go live in that village hall before Christmas, and it wouldn't work. And we have what's called an OTDR tester, which tells you just how far the light's going up your fibre. And we plugged that in, and it said it was uh, 3,010 metres or something. And so we, we, we knew that that was fairly close to this farm and, and a bullet in the, in the access chamber. Uh, so we thought, well, it's probably a fuse in there that's not been done right or there's a bend or something. Can you just tell but people what the bullet is? The bullet is, is where the main core duct goes through a hole in the ground uh, with a lid on and in, inside it is a plastic-like container full of little trays and, and the fibre goes into these trays and then customers are joined on um, with their own fibre because each customer gets their own fibre. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought it's probably a, a splice in there. But we went and looked and it all looked fine and we put a tester on the bullet and tested back to the village hall and it only went uh, 84 metres. Oh. So we measured that out with our little wheel and lo and behold it was right in the middle of this duct. And we thought, well, we dug down to the duct. There's nothing wrong with the duct at all. We thought, what can it be? And, and as soon as we saw that his duct was intact, I just knew in my heart of hearts it was either rats or mice because they nabbed, they nabbed me at the farm in the silo building chewing through cables. Yeah, I've had that. And myself. so we opened his duct, exposed our duct, and, yeah, chewed all the way along the length, about 10 metres, little holes and big holes. And in this one particular place, it actually chewed through the fibre and, and snapped the fibre. They don't chew right through the fibre because as soon as they hit the fibre, it makes the gums bleed because it's so sharp, you see. Yeah. So, but the damage was done. They'd broken the fibre and we couldn't go alive. And we, no. were, we were absolutely gutted. And then we thought, well, right, we've got to fix this now. How are we going to fix it? And we thought, well, we can get some armoured fibre and we can... Uh, you know, put another join in here, which you don't want all these joins, but, I mean, needs must. Um, so we put another join in and replaced 100 metres of, of fibre with armoured fibre. And we spoke to loads of different people as to how you stop rodents getting in your ducts. And the answer seemed to be um, steel wool, because they don't like chewing through steel wool. They'll pull it out, but they won't chew it because that cuts the little gums. Mm-hmm. And rodents have to chew to saw down the teeth, otherwise the teeth grow too long. That's why they chew, not because they're hungry. And uh, so you put your steel wool in the end of your duct, and then you get builder's foam and squirt that in, and that sets hard. Yep. And then they chew through the builder's foam, hit the wire wool, that hurts the teeth, and they stop chewing and they leave your ducts alone. So we've made all this information public. And every time we do something wrong, we try to make it public so that other communities who are doing this sort of stuff don't, well, they can learn from our lessons. And if you're going to use some ducts, you've got to make sure both ends are sealed up and the little blighters can't get in. I and just, buy plenty of mouse poison. <laughs> I, uh, or or humane traps, whichever, whatever way you want to go. Um <laughs> Just want to uh, let the listeners know just for a second that there are loads and loads and loads of videos of all this stuff. Oh, loads of them. Loads the, of them. I've been the doing website. some more today. Fusion slicing today. I'm, yeah, I'm actually thrilled every time I see it. Oh, look, there's somebody else has put their name on it. it mm. it's, really, uh, it's really cool. But for our listeners, you mentioned there in that conversation that each customer has their own fibre. And I know 
you mentioned that the last time, but -hmm. it was only when I saw the videos that I realized that what you're saying is each customer has their own fiber the whole way from their house right back to the head end. Is that correct? Yes. And then there's a uh, there's a gadget in the in the hub. We call it the hub, but I think its proper name is the head end. I'm not really technical. Um, but then there's this uh, WDPM or something kit, which gives every single customer their own one gigabit pipe back to peering in Manchester, which is where our closest peering centre is at Media City in Manchester. Unbelievable. So have you connected up any of the customers at all? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and, and I'm starting to personally connect them up because they've discovered that girls can fusion splice. Especially when, and especially when the boy fusion slices poorly. And our best fusion splice happens to be poorly. And we've got fusion splicing that needs to be done, so I've been doing it. I've been looking at and, all the videos and you must be spending an amazing amount of time out of the house. Oh yes, I'm full time on this, full time volunteer doing this. Yeah, totally, totally mad. But, you know, you do get these mad people and every community has these people who are, you know, just determined to get on with it and get the job done. You know, we've got some brilliant people now coming through the ranks. So you get your average volunteers who are happy to do the Saturdays but they work all week, and then you've got volunteers who will use the days off to come and help you, and then you've got some that are really, really good at certain things, and so they end up being in charge of it. Yeah. Uh, we've got a brilliant blowing man, um, and he's a shepherd, actually, um, so he's quite busy at the moment lambing sheep, but he's shown quite a few of the other villagers how to do it, so we can still keep blowing customers till he's finished lambing. So... Um, how, how good organisers as well. Yeah, We've got okay. some really good organisers come through the ranks. And, and logistics are half the trouble, getting stuff to people when they need them. And these people are organising it and they're self-organising. They only have to, you know, they're, they're quite, well, they're all bright people. And they know what needs to be done. And they, they just get on with it. Once you've shown them once or possibly twice... They just get on with it and they do it. They can see it has to be done and nobody else is going to do it for them. So they learn these skills. And then when we can afford to pay them and when we've got proper jobs to offer people, uh, they will get those jobs. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I'll tell you, it's not, a, it's not an unuseful um, thing to be able to blow fibre or spice fibre or it is or not it is not when if i wanted a fusion slicer i have to pay 300 pounds a day yep. for a good fusion slicer the cheapest one i found is 120 pounds a day but we've got a very good fusion splicing training center just over the border in cumbria it's called lucid um, and they train fusion splicers and what they find is these people want some experience and so ah. when, when they get a good one, a good, a good lad coming through the training, they say to him, if you want some experience, go and help Barn for a few days. And they'll put you a video up and things like that. And um, you'll get the experience to put on your CV. Um, you won't get any money because they're not paying anybody. And these lads volunteer to come and help. We've had a couple of really good ones from Lucid. Because Lucid are really good trainers. It's a long course, a, a City and Guilds course. Yeah. But because they're like in the same uh, position as us, they're in a very rural area, and they're building their own fibre network too, called Fibre Garden. Oh, fantastic. You might have seen that on Twitter and on the web. Um, they're really on our side. And so they train three of us, just to fusion splice, not the full training course, because, of course, we can't afford to pay for the full training course, but enough to be able to operate a fusion splicer. Fantastic. And then the three of us that went, we have then trained some more people to use the fusion splicer. And just tonight on the way home, I had to stop and pick up some pigtails, and the lady of the house gave me the pigtails, and she said, I've been thinking about it, Christine, and I think all the ladies of the village should learn to fusion splice. So this is the WI... No, Women's the, Institute, yeah, Women's that's Institute. the ladies' organisation. Yeah, and, 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 and she said, I'm sure, you know, we're all very dexterous with our fingers, with the knitting and the flower arranging and everything else. Can we all learn to fusion splice? And I thought, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, why not? We'll have the wild Indians, Fusion Splicer. Now, a few things we need to clear up for our listeners. Fusion Splicer is a uh, is a way to join fibre uh, ends together, I'm guessing. Yes, yes. It, it, all you do is you have these two little tiny wee fibres that are only the thickness of a hair, and you've got to strip the outer coating off with a special little tool, strip the plastic coating off. So all you've got is a very, very fine strand of glass, and you put the fine, two fine strands of glass into the fusion splicing machine after you've cleaned it and, and trimmed the ends, and the fusion splicing machine fuses those two ends together so it's an unbroken piece of glass, and that's all fusion splicing is. And each customer needs six splices because they have two fibres into the house, and then it goes into the hole in the ground somewhere outside the house into a, this bullet thing, and then the fibre goes right the way back to our cabinet and there's two fusion slices in there to do. So you six slices to do per customer. So why is there two fibres to every customer? They always have a spare. Because what we think is, you know, some television companies might not want to be on your broadband. They might want their own fibre to deliver, you know, television in the future. They might, I don't know. But also, one of the main things we're thinking of um, uh, is healthcare. And with healthcare, the healthcare professionals don't really like to be on an ordinary open network. I think they would want their own personal fibre to the home for the care of the elderly in their own homes. You don't know what's in the future. And if you're putting a fibre in, you might as well put a spare in, mightn't you? Absolutely. That's what we thought. It doesn't cost us any more, does it? No, it doesn't. And you could also, uh, I'm guessing if a company was listening to this and decided to, you know, base up there, they could run, uh, use both of those fibres with coloured glass and then, you know, could have 200 if, units. No, if there, was, if there was a company here that really wanted something super duper, we do provide a 10 gig service. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nobody, I don't think anybody will want it in a rush. But if, if a data centre wanted to come and establish itself in our valley... It could have its own 10 gig feed. Well, it could have two, actually, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 20 gig. <laughs> and you, you yeah. mentioned pigtails. What are they? Uh, the pigtails, they're the little uh, bits of fibre with a specialist end already made on it on them. Yeah. And they're what they're what plug into all this fancy equipment that runs the network. There's it's, a fancy bit in your house called a CPE, Client Premise Equipment, which is a little box on the wall, and that has a pigtail in it, joined onto your fibre. And then there's, when you get back to the cabinet, there's another pigtail which plugs into these fancy routers with flashing lights and that does all fancy things and makes your data fly to gig. And uh, tell me this, and a lot of people listening to this will have, uh, you know, we have a lot of people who work in data centres and stuff, so fibre is no big, strange thing to us. But I was fascinated to see the logistics of what you needed to do to get it into the ground and to build a network. This is just something that we never, uh, never see. Hence, I guess, the amount of interest people have had in this uh, in this episode and in your project in general. Has anybody else, I know you mentioned somebody, uh, Fibre Gardens across the valley, has anybody else come and uh, been inspired or, you know, taken any of the lessons that you've learned and gone with them? Uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few community groups been to visit us. We don't have a terrific lot of spare time to give to people and we've had far more inquiries than we can deal with and a lot of them are very early stage inquiries so there's a lot of hand-holding to do with people who are just thinking what can we do to get some broadband into our area um, uh, it, it's really it's really hard there's, there's another group started up that knows a lot about all the groups who are trying to do things and they're trying to pull together sort of a database of helpers like a mentor group um, so I tend to field a lot of inquiries off to them because they're really good at sussing out what it is community is like, is up for, its ge- geographical status, whether there's a fibre near them to, that they can join to, you know, a dark fibre to lease, like we were lucky, because we can lease this dark fibre in two of our villages at each end of the network. Yeah. With a dual feed in, it's, so it's got this 
resilience, you know, I think they call it, redundancy, whatever. Redundancy. Um, but, but all that sort of fact-finding, we haven't time to help communities with that. But there are a, an awful lot of communities now thinking of doing it for themselves because they realise, you know, they're still going to be left behind if they don't do something themselves. Absolutely, uh, yeah, I see it. Uh, so if there was a project, uh, for instance, there was a guy and his brother who wanted to go over and volunteer for a week, uh, would you be open to that sort of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anybody who wants to come and volunteer, more than welcome. And what, more what, than would, welcome. It, what would expect us? Uh, what would you expect of uh, these hypothetical volunteers? A offering. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might, I might be, put it like that. <laughs> what would we expect? Uh, just to muck in, really. Just to muck in. I mean, if they could bring any skills, that would be great. If they could fusion spice or anything. Yeah. Um, but it's really, there's so much digging going on in different places. Um, it's laying out the duct, so you lay the duct out before the digger gets there. Uh, the digger does the bulk of the work, and some of these digger drivers are just like ballerinas. They can just, yeah. you know, they're, they're beautiful when you watch the good digger drivers working. And then you have to lay the duct in the bottom of the trench, making sure it's very level. And yeah. you've not to let it wiggle from side to side. You have to keep it very straight. And then make sure there's no stones around it. And you just backfill with a spade. Uh, I tend to just bash the sides a bit and knock soft stuff down. Yeah. And just bed the ducting down nice and, and firmly with a, a nice covering on it and then the digger can backfill it. Perfect. And tip all the tip all the stuff on. There's been there you do as I said before, you have loads of videos on the uh, that is really incredibly addictive uh, viewing, it has to be said. It's uh if you're anyway mm-hmm. interested in this at all, have a look at all the videos. Um just before we go, how many homes have you connected up now? Uh, we connected the first batch of, I think it was nine, in Cuomo, which is one end of the of the dig, in October. And since then, the rest of Cuomo, it's not a big village, there's only about 40 houses altogether, I think, in Cuomo, I can't remember actually. Um, most of those are on. And we were going to have a sort of a big splash, oh yes, we're live, here's a gig and everything, in October. And then another village said, we want to get going, and, and we got sidetracked helping them. And uh, what this village was, it's a village that has broadband, but it's all very slow, and all the people who have it are always moaning about it because they're quite a long way from the exchange. Yeah. And two people in the village said, when are you going to bring it to us? And we said, well, we're not. You are when you're ready. And they said, well, what do we have to do? And we said, well... The, the, we're going to connect you to the geodark fibre which is three and a half kilometres from your village and so you have to route walk it get permission off all the farmers on that route and, and ask the farmers to dig that bit or get somebody to dig that bit for the farmers and get the ducting down to your village and then we can start to connect the villagers and they said well all the farmers whose land it is when they walked the routes, found out they were absentee landlords, so they were landowners that didn't actually live in the village. So they had nothing to gain by uh, getting a connection because there were no houses there. And um, so the villagers said, well, we've already bought shares in, in Van. If we buy some more, could we, could we pay the diggers with those shares? So we'll pay the diggers and take the money in shares because we pay £1.50 a metre the farmer to yeah, dig yeah. the land and then all, a lot of the farmers are doing that because these farmers don't live there so we thought well that's a novel idea so they hired some digger men and they dug all the three and a half kilometers in and they got paid one pound fifty a meter and they, then they paid in shares and then they paid cash to the digger men so but who on but those trenches are now on absentee landlords land so how does that work um well the the the, the landlords gave way leaves so they didn't mind the fiber going through oh, they, no they just didn't want to it, it. Oh, okay they just didn't want to dig it themselves and get shares because yeah yeah some of them are just uh Don't you know it. old ladies actually yeah, there's yeah. some old ladies on the land and they just rent it out you see and uh so but they didn't I think that, that worked very well. That got it to the village. All the villagers saw these diggers in the fields and came to see what was going on. 
a lot of them came to help, mostly retired people, either early retired or fully retired people, ladies as well. And we had one day we had three doctors actually working in, in the trenches just as labourers and they got really interested in it and, and the first question they ask you when you're in the trench working with them is, I live over there, how do I get it to my house? <laughs> and when you explain, well, we've got to get down to there and then we come across there and then we can dig one to your house and, and they get really into it and they dig into their house quite often through the garden with spades and then the neighbour says, well, you've got it, how do I get it? And so they tell them and they go and help them. And this is how it goes. And then the next door neighbour can't dig because they're an invalid. Yeah. So they go and dig theirs as well. And oh, they, they, form these, they, they form these working groups. And like I say, they, there's organisers come through who, who order the duct, make sure there's enough duct, you know, make sure the route's in the right place, make sure the maps are right. And, and they're, just, they're just connected nearly every house in the village. They've got 80% take-up. I seriously, I, I seriously don't know why this isn't a movie, you know. All we need is some... There has been talk of it, and if, if it is made into a movie, I want Julie Walters to be me. Because <laughs> I think she's uh, the closest thing to me, is a, a comedian. We, we, have all the, uh, we, all, we have all the ingredients now. We have the Women's Institute getting involved, so we've got... Yeah, a, that, I think got, that's awesome, You that. need some sort of digger guy from, you know, technic <laughs> from the city. You can just see it now. Um, listen, the last time we spoke, and I've, and I've been very interested in wondering about this, has it happened? You were saying that one person objected before and you were going to reroute around their house. So what We did, yes, yes. We've, we, still haven't, we still haven't connected that village anyway. Yeah. Uh, but we've got another route and we don't have to go through his land. We've had another one since, just one. Yeah. Um, and that's... that's uh, it's, it's one house in the village we're working in now, and it's just one little bit of a field that he owns. And that one little bit, it's only 100 metres. Yeah. If we could go over that 100 metres, that would save us thousands of pounds to get to a school and five houses. And we will get to the school and five houses. Obviously, yes. But... Oh, yeah. But it will cost us a lot of money to go round rather than going across this little bit of a field. And he's just insistent. He doesn't want us going on his field. And he's quite happy with his 3G dongle. <laughs> so what can you do? More you know you, you, you know, you just have to go around them. You do I get know. odd people like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. can't be helped. And you yeah, can't yeah. hold it against them. They're entitled not to have you on the field if they don't want you. So, yeah, that's true, But it's very, it's very frustrating when you find out something like that. Yeah, and you sort of seethe there a bit and want to go around and and uh, shout at them but you don't and you just settle and then you think oh well we'll move on there's exactly. bound to be one isn't there but it's and not everybody's yeah it's not like as if it's you know there's any health concerns i mean it's a flashing light you know yeah there's no the ground, like you yeah know, there's, there's absolutely no reason for it but some people are just news. obstinate and this particular person is convinced that bt is going to bring in super fast broadband because they've told him so and they're always telling you, they tell you on the television, they tell you on adverts, they tell, they tell you on circulars. Everybody's going to get super fast broadband from BT. And a lot of people will get super fast, but not our villages. That's why we're doing yeah. this. But their super fast isn't going to be ever as fast as your super fast, because yours is actually No, fast. no. And ours is going to be so much cheaper as well, because it's our own network and we're peering. So we don't have to pay the middleman. We've, you know, we've completely, well, with the two middlemen, we don't have to pay wholesale or yeah. open reach. You know, we, we, we just strike through to peering and mm. we can go as fast as we want, whenever we want. Yeah. Trouble is, we can't really use a gig at the moment because our computers aren't good enough. Well, and we can't even measure a gig, actually. It's really, really hard to measure a gig because nobody can serve you a gig. You know, I, this is the you, I can actually hear the listeners to this podcast going, "Oh my God, let me over there! I'll get up to a gig." <laughs> <laughs> well, we've won, we've won, we've won the geeky guy. He brought his laptop when we had the BBC over last week. Yeah, and this geeky guy brought his brand new Windows Eight laptop with no virus protection, no firewalls, no rubbish on it, and he just plugged straight into the Ethernet. And he got 940, I think, was his best score yeah. from a server in Amsterdam. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was a server in Manchester. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that was had, his best score. Have you had any interest uh, in in people setting up a little data centre or something in a shed somewhere there? Not yet. I'm hoping that'll come. Maybe it'll come from this podcast like the sponsored duck came from the last one. Yeah. How, what the much da- you, data uh, centre would be great. Yeah, it doesn't take much, actually. Um, no. And looking at the weather over there, you wouldn't have to pay for cooling that much either. No, you wouldn't. That's a fact. That's a fact. Today's the first day I've been working without my coat on. It's been beautiful here today. I think this is our summer, February. This will be our summer. It was last year. We had February and March were okay, and then it rained every day since. Yeah, I know, and it looks like it. Mm. It really, mm. uh, really uh, looks miserable in some of the, uh, in the some of the shots. It has to be said. Yeah. Um, okay, Chris. Holding the tent, holding the tent down is the biggest yeah. problem. We've wrecked our tent now. The wind has just wrecked it, and so now we've got scaffolding poles. So in my little van, I've got four scaffolding poles, and we take those down to the holes in the ground where we're working, and, and we jump on them so they're stuck in the ground. Yeah. And then we throw a tarpaulin over and climb into them and fuse in those. Yeah. You can't fuse when it's windy, you see. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you want got to be very clean and and no wind and no muck blowing in. Yeah. So we have that now. It's a it's for the people listening. What you'll see is that they the fibre can only go so far within the ducts and then you blow it through and then you come to a particular house where you split off some of the fibres goes continues on to the other houses and yeah. then some of the fi- yeah. fibres split off for a particular area and you see the land is completely mucky as it would be because it's January, February you know um, yeah. and but it's been like that all summer yeah. we've had you know we've had to dam the trenches so we, we, oh, we, we that, put yeah. a dam yeah we put a dam in the trench to catch the water then the digger can carry on digging and we make the water run off down the field um, and, and drain it off as best we can and then backfill the trenches. But the trenches can often fill up with water faster than you can dig them out because oh, the yeah. ground is so wet. So we can't use the little diggers that the farmers were going to dig with. Most farmers have a little digger on the back of the tractor or a little yeah, mini yeah. digger, but you can't go on the land with those. And so we've had to bring in the big diggers and actually yeah. pay the big diggers. And this is where the share ideas come in where the people pay the diggers and then take the, the wages that the diggers would have had in shares because of course the digger men can't afford to wait, work for shares with families no. and mortgages no. and no. so uh, whereas the farmers could have done a you know 100 meters today and 100 meters next week and just yeah, got their yeah. dig done uh, that's not worked it's not worked that way that was our plan but it didn't work and so the the community themselves came up with the solution which was well, we'll pay the digger men and, and we'll take the £1.50 metre in shares. And some have made a profit on it. They've got more shares than, than it costs them. Yeah. The uh, the actual uh, uh, home dig was three and a half kilometres, which would have been three and a half, one pound fifty 1.50 a What's that? I can't, can't work it out. But the actual dig only cost 4430 Yeah. You know, that's how things work. And they're savvy enough to work these things out for themselves. And they also know they get 30% tax back when they buy the shares. So that's, you know, if you buy £1,000 of shares, you get £300 back off the government straight away as cash. So that's like 10% of your interest for you, isn't it? Yeah, if you're taxpayer. So they've worked that out as well. So the best laid plans and all that, it's all, all changed because the community actually come up with ideas themselves to get around all these issues. Well, I'm, I must say, I'll, I'll, and you see that in the videos as well, uh, as you're taking out the fibre, um, what do you call that, weaving the figure of eight thing? Um, you see oh, that? when you're fleeting it? Yeah, fleeting yeah, when you're it, fleeting it. Fleeting. Yeah, yeah that was one of our retired ladies, fleeting the fibre. Fleeting the fibre. So she, uh, she sat down and did it. She sat down on the tarpaulin and fleeted the fibre for us. Yes, and <laughs> you, they, there are two big flower pots holding yeah, the well, figure of Yeah, well, together. we couldn't keep the figure of eight neat. Yeah. And this fellow said, oh, I'll chuck you these flower pots over. So, um, But since then, our, our woodworking man, we've got this woodworking man, a carpenter, and he's fitted our trailer out with these great shelves that hold everything and a drop-down table. Yeah. And he's made us bullet holders out of wood. And so instead of having to pay 100 odd pounds for a metal bullet holder, he's made us some wooden ones. And there's some pictures of them gurning through it. They look like toilet seats, actually. Uh, <laughs> but they hold the bullets firmly while you're working in them. 
um, and uh, he's made as a fleeting board. So this board, is, it just holds the middle of the figure of eight for us on the tarpaulin. Perfect. Because some of the blows you can't blow. I think that our next blow to Abbeystead is seven kilometres. Yeah. Well, we can't blow that all in one go. So we'll have to keep breaking out at these access chambers and fleeting it. So, so you'll blow you do 100 metres or so and then... You'll blow... Well, our access chambers are every 500 metres. Okay, yeah. So we'll probably be able... If we're lucky, we'll blow to the second one, 1,000 metres. If we're not lucky, we'll just get to the 500 metres one and blow 6.5 kilometres through. Yeah. And all that will have to be fleeted. So you do six and a half kilometres in the first one, five, then <laughs> yeah, we've again, never, five Well, and we've never kilometers. done... I think what we'll do, we've got a, a three and a half kilometre blow up from Arkham. I think we'll attempt that first and see how far we can get yeah. uh, before we attempt the big blow. And we might have to have a joint in the middle. Yeah. So instead of trying to blow seven kilometres, we'll try and blow three okay. and then join it in the middle. It's yeah. only, you know, 144 splices <laughs> only. <Ooh. Ouch. laughs> um but, um, you know, the, the fewer joins you have, the better. So we'll fleet as much as we can. But when you're fleeted, you've got to have enough men there to turn turn your bundle over. Because yeah, exactly. you blow it from the other side, you see. Yeah, and it's so, the seven, you know, f- five, five kilometers of cable turning that over. That's a lot of... It will be a lot. It will be an awful lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll probably do it in two goes. I don't know how we'll do that, but we'll think something when the time comes. Yeah, it's all dug in ready now. It's actually ready to blow. Is that one? Is it? But they haven't. They haven't got it into the cabinet yet. They're about, uh, I think, five meters short of the cabinet now. They've got it to the school, and then they've got to cross the road and then into the cabinet. So So the bulk of the dig is done now to the, to the uh, very end of our network, which is Abbeystead. So, but then they're branching off in other directions now because other villages say, well, how much will it cost for you to come to us? And we say, well, we'll get to you eventually, but if you want it now, it will cost you X amount of pounds. So they'll just go around and get shareholders to cough it up. And they get there the dust, and then they, then they start digging. And that surprised us as well, you know, because we were focusing on the really desperate people. But these are people that... We didn't think we're that desperate, but they must be, because they're, they're, they're doing it. Yeah, but the, I'll, I'll tell you, Chris, if I had the choice here, right, and, uh, you know, I've got 40 megabits uh, available to me, I, I would still like to have a gigabit. Yeah. And I dig. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, I would dig. I'd be on that digger. I'd be down in the trench. Yeah, um, yeah well, and, that's, what the, that's what they're doing. That is just what they're doing. They're just getting on with it. And um, we had a business park came to us and they said, you know, I know we're way off your radar at the moment, but would you consider coming to us? And we said yes. And they said, would would we be able to buy the feed off you and, and feed our village ourselves and run our own, you know, ISP? And we said, yeah, of course. You know, we're open access. Anybody can. And we've got three, four... Wi-Fi networks now wanting to buy a feed off us, which we're going to supply. And we're feeding my network. My network is Wenet, which yeah. is a... Um, and we're waiting for fibre. You know, we are going to dig. Um, but we've still got a wireless network that's very good. Uh, so we don't have to rush to get ourselves on until we've got everybody else on. Yeah. And so we've put, our, we've put the barn feed into the Wenet network now. So we're paying the same for... Um, it's a gigabit feed, but of course you can't do a gigabit through wireless. But but we're getting uh, uh, about 40 megs symmetrical, quite nicely through yeah. fairly cheap equipment. Fairly cheap equipment. It's only sort of hundred pound a house. We, the equipment we use, and it's been in. You know, we've not just put it in. It's been in a bit. Um, so we've just coupled our feed into that. Put another transmitter up. Um, and we're getting 40 meg symmetrical for the same price we were paying the county council for 2 meg wow. at 5 to 1 contended. And yes, we're getting yes, a, pure, pure a pure gigabit. If we had a better transmitter, we'd have a gigabit. Yeah. Tell me, uh, have you done anything with the wireless or uh, GSM, that sort of thing? Uh, sorry, regular mobile 4G? Uh, we've no 4G in this area. We've yeah. very, very limited 3G, apart from the one man who can actually get it and doesn't want us going through his field. Uh, 
most of us ha- can't get it on our phones, but we yeah. can get it on the like the MiFi and the YB. Yeah. With the better transmitters, we can pick it up in, a, in in quite in a, a few. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's only one mast in the area for 3G, um, and unless you've got a fairly good line of sight to it, you haven't much chance. And most villages are in the bottom of valleys, you know, where the rivers are, and so most of the villages can't get it. But quite a few, no, well, quite a few people could get it if they got a MiFi. Yeah. But it's not very good. Yeah. And in a lot of the area, you can't even get the 2G. You can't get any mobile at all in but some areas. Have any of those companies expressed an interest in getting the backhaul from you guys? Not yet. They probably don't know we exist. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did see one of the videos. There was a, a BT engineer up there saying that it was a great idea what you were doing. Yes, but then he said that he, he couldn't, with the best will in the world, BT could never help us. He did say that on the one yeah. show. On, yeah. on, and why doesn't this guy with the 100 metre thing? Anyway, uh, leave him off, leave him off as you say yourself. Yeah, Just yeah. Well, what we've said, what we've said as a committee, we had to have, uh, have a vote on it actually. Half yeah. of us said, anybody who won't let us on their land and doesn't want a connection will never ever get a connection. Half of us agreed to that. And the other half said... Um, that's not really fair because his children might want a connection or they might sell the house and the new people who buy it might want a connection. So we said, right, well, fair enough. If that happens or if they change their mind, they can have a connection, but it will cost them whatever it costs us to go around, to go around them. Because this is our money. This is our shareholders' money we're having to spend now to go around this person. And it's only fair that that money is put back into the pot to help pay back yeah. our shareholders if that person decides to do want a connection after all. And we voted on it, and that's what that that's what the committee uh, decided. And it will take the whole of the shareholders to change that now at a, at a public vote. <laughs> but that's what we've decided. That would be an interesting uh, thing to <clears throat> communicate to any potential buyers of a property in the area. <laughs> Well, actually, you've got to do a search if you're buying a property. Yeah. And it's up to the estate agents and the lawyers to do a proper search on your property. And if your property hasn't got the broadband that every other property in the street has, it's up to them to find out why. Yeah. And, and it will be, they'll have to come to Ban and say, how much will it cost for this property to have a connection? And we will look up our records and we will say, it costs us £20,000 to go around that house. And so that house will cost £20,000. If it's somebody who just didn't want a connection, that's fine. It will cost them £150. Because that's today's price. I mean, it might go up in the future. It's today's price because it's all being built by volunteers. And we have to keep it a reasonable price. And if you're putting, like tonight, we've just put eight houses on on a bullet. Um, If we had to go back and visit that chamber... Just for one house, it would prob- we'd probably have to charge more. I don't know yeah. in the future, but at the moment it's one hundred and fifty pounds for a connection. And those eight houses tonight have one gigabit Ethernet. Connection. Well, no, because no, because that was just the bullet. The houses themselves are fused. Yeah. The bullet is now in 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 place and done, and then tomorrow we're doing the cabinet. And if those eight houses are on the list in the cabinet and if it gets done tomorrow yes there will go live tomorrow but um you know if something goes wrong tomorrow and those trays aren't done because uh it's just me and another volunteer tomorrow using in the cabinet so that's until our fusion spicer man's better okay and uh if there were listeners from hacker public radio uh in the uk and had some of these skills they would. Uh, they they'll have your email address, and then they it's can just anything you. at barn b four r n dot org dot uk, and it'll come into the system, and we'll pick them up if they want to come and help or come and visit. We're finding the holiday cottages are getting booked up very fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. And you have the holiday cottages connected to the network. Just we've got it? two in Kwama connected to the network, and we've got two in. Two and a bed and breakfast in our home connected to the network. And we've another... Oh, uh, we've got another five on last week in our home. 
So, and then there's another 32 due to go live as soon as we get the cabinet work done. And there's another, uh, I think, a, another 40 still to get the equipment screwed on in the houses. And the guys tend to go around and do a few of those every day, especially on wet days. That's yeah. where you'll find them in houses. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and they've been rolling out a whole load of duck today for another row of houses in Arkham. So that village is almost um, almost done. They've, they've done a sterling work. I can't, I can't get over how the communities pull together. Yeah. And when you go around talking to them and they say, you know, I didn't know this, this chap. And and I've lived here for twenty years. And isn't he wonderful? And and you know yeah, they're, yeah. they're all meeting up with each other now, and it, it's just amazing the cohesion it builds. Of course, now they most have... people most people are out at work all day, yeah, yeah. and then they're catching up with the housework and the shopping and and cleaning and ironing and everything, yeah. and they don't mix like they used to do. Yeah. So you can live in a street and and not know your neighbours very well. And they're all mucking in together and getting to know each other and going round to each other's houses and nattering and, you of know, now, um, like the now, old days. Now that you've given them internet, they'll never have to leave their house again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you, everybody says, oh, you get out in front of a computer and you're antisocial and you just sit there all the time. But actually getting getting this connection has made people leave the computers and yeah. mix and do but things and help again. each other. You know, they're helping each other. Is, is the amazing yeah. thing. There's, there's one lady, she was actually on the BBC report last week, and she's going to to sort of help mastermind our help desk because we don't want to farm it out. We want everybody to help each other, but somebody has to sort of be a central point and, yeah. and organise it a bit, and she's offered to do it because she's a retired IT person and she's a farmer's wife and they all know her and trust her. And she's had two queries this week, um, how do you get your um, want to do email um, when you're not on want to do anymore? Good question. And, and yeah. yeah, well, we we say, I mean, we'll do a mail server of our own one day, just like we'll do our own VoIP one day um, when we've got the network built. But we just say, well, just get a Gmail address. And they say, no. well, what's Gmail? <laughs> you know, um, and what we do is we get a Gmail address, and then if you want to be posh. You can buy a domain name for uh, four ninety nine a year, isn't it? For a yeah. nice domain name, and then you get Gmail to pretend it's sending from that, and it's quite easy to set up. And this lady knows how to do it, and so she's going around showing people how to do it, and then they're supposed to show somebody else how to do it. Whether it works that way, I don't know. Yeah. But we at Barn, we have a Gmail address, and it's. Uh, B4 Rural North at gmail.com, but we tell it to use barn.org.uk, and that's how we do it. So they can all do the same. So instead of this man who who, who emailed the other day, he said he has um, his business name, like Fred's Tires or something, at wannado.co.uk, and I said, well, it's not really a a good business name at wannado.co.uk. Why don't you have info at fredstires.co.uk it's going to cost you five a year get a gmail address and farm it through that and then you've got a posh domain name you also get free website if you want it free photo storage you know free everything with google so and the same with your voip you know we are going to do our own asterisk server one day when somebody rises through the ranks who wants to do it and there's one or two looking you know, share play, but we, we're saying try Vonage. Nothing wrong with Vonage. It costs yeah. you a tenner for a little atta to plug into our equipment. Yeah. And you've got your phone line then. You can, you don't have to pay £15 a month to BT then. And you yep. can have you keep the same number. And you can have calls diverted to your mobile. And loads of free services with it. And unlimited free calls for. I think it's five ninety nine a month, and there's loads of companies like Vonage. You know, Vonage is just one, just like Gmail, just one email service. Yeah, exactly. Hotmail or Yahoo Mail or any mail. But there's, I, s- I see, I see in my future like a, a barn up there in Barn. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just housing a few servers and and 
few local guys running Linux services off it for the community. I mean, there's a business yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, not only for the community, but also anywhere. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. It's this unlimited what, what's possible. What's possible in the future is unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very impressed with uh, what you're doing. And again, it's uh, it's been one of the most requested uh, follow-ups that we've ever had here in HPR. So, uh, well, everybody wants to come here to the Rollages and see it for yes, themselves. Yes, they do. I've, I've actually told <laughs> and try them. and get a gig on a speed test if you can. <laughs> I, don't worry, I can. <laughs> and I won't be using a Windows 8 machine to do it either. But uh, yes, 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 I will be able to reach that speed. Um, Chris, listen, thanks very much for uh, taking the time again. And, oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, and Anytime. We, we wish you all the absolute best. That's okay. it, right. Get us a day to centre now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to have to come over and visit first. I know yeah. I promised last year. All right, Chris, <laughs> thanks very much for the time. It's a pleasure. All right, cheerio. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.